Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And welcome to the Games Master Academy. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Cohen, jumping out of the loo. What more could you ask for? And going for the all-out attack and giving it my best over the full 90 minutes, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 16th of September 1993. Culture Beats Mr. Vane is still top of the charts, but we've got a new movie at the top of the box office, it's a foreign field. This is where you were the first night? Somewhere over there. That was a total boo-boo. Fog of war, they called it. Found myself here among the Brits. They were wandering around with their heads up their ass. If they were, it was just to avoid being shot at by nervous yanks. Now, this movie is also a TV movie. Mm. And so I was very confused when I saw it listed as number one for the box office in the UK. I clicked on the Wikipedia link to follow through and it said TV movie. But whether it's a TV movie or whether it's a theatrical movie, the one thing I can say is this is a vanity project. Is it really? Because Alec Guinness used his clout with the BBC to get this made and he used his clout to get half the actors involved because you listen to some of the cast. The cast included Alec Guinness, it included Leo McKern, it included Edward Herman, who you probably know best from The Lost Boys. Yes, I probably, yeah. Yeah. John Randolph, Geraldine Chaplin, Lauren Bacall. This is Alec Guinness getting the BBC to make a film and getting some of his mates in. And it was written by Roy Clark. Hmm. Last of the Summer Wine, First of the Summer Wine, Open All Hours, Still Open All Hours, 
and Ain't Misbehaving. We all remember Ain't Misbehaving. <laughs> In retrospect, it's a really creepy fucking show. <laughs> Now, you say that Alec Guinness used to clap, but actually what he did was just waved his fingers in front of the executive and said, you will give me all the money I need to make a foreign field, and I will put all of my friends in it. How is it your Alec Guinness is impeccable? <laughs> but your Dexter Fletcher, we got 25 episodes to get it right. I've still got time, mate. I'll get there. Games Master. I'll, I'll get it eventually. Roy Clark, as well-regarded as he is, he was even more well-regarded for this because, again, regardless of whether it's a TV movie or a theatrical movie, it was critically well-received. His writing was praised. The film itself concerned two soldiers, played by Leo McKern and John Randolph, who in their later years have returned to France, both in search of the same woman who they had a rendezvous with in 1944, unknown to each other. McKern is accompanied by his fellow veteran Amos, who's played by Alec Guinness, while Waldo has his petty daughter Beverly, who's played by Geraldine Chaplin. But the two groups encounter one another, and after some conflict find common ground in old sorrows. Along the way, they meet the recently widowed Lisa, who has come in search of her brother's grave. The film follows this group of characters, but particularly the elder characters, looking at their experiences in World War II, and also, I think, kind of beginning to look at the mm. lasting impact of that war on the people who survived it, be it through psychological trauma, or in the case of the character played by Alec Guinness, a bullet wound that gave him brain damage, and the reason he's with Leo McKern's character is because Leo McKern has kind of become his carer after the war. Given the subject matter, and given the cast it features, because never mind Alec Guinness, I'm a sucker for Leo McKern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I reckon I'm going to go and check this one out. There's a lot of films we cover, which I may have seen and I've forgotten about. This one I'm fairly certain I've never seen, but I actually really, really want to. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've never seen it. I've never even heard of it, uh, in all honesty, until we started doing the research for this. I'll check it out if I get a chance. I, I, so I haven't really got much to say about it. But I do have something to say about a film that we did not cover last week, and it's probably for the best. That was a chunky old episode where it didn't need more chat uh, in the preamble before we actually got into the, the episode itself. But there was a release in the summer of 1993 that you and I did not talk about, and it's a bit of a landmark release and a very important release to the subject that we're talking about, and that's Super Mario Brothers. Where are we? I got a feeling we're not in Brooklyn no more. They're brothers. They're plumbers. Oh no. Luigi! They're on the trail of a kidnapped princess and a mystical meteorite. It's incredible! That gives anyone who possesses it the power to rule the universe. Get me the rock! I mean, there were a couple of reasons that I didn't bring it up. One is it didn't top the box office. It did not. So it didn't even enter my immediate radar. But the other reason is, is it's more than you could cover in a what we did in our summer holidays kind of bit, which is what we were doing. It is pretty much an episode in itself. And one I am certain we will get to by hook or by crook. And I'm looking forward to that because, correct me if I'm wrong, Luke, but didn't you write a book? It's funny you should mention that, Ash. I did once write a book about this subject. It has been mentioned before, yeah. Um, I, the only reason I brought it up really is because I just, I was making a bagel the other day. I was making my breakfast and, you know, putting a coffee together. And I was thinking about the episode that we recorded and thinking about Jurassic Park. And I all of a sudden just had this flashback to a conversation that I had. And it's a very, very vivid memory of that summer of 1993 and being around a family friend's house and playing Micro Machines on the Mega Drive and them telling me that they had gone to see the Super Mario Brothers movie. 
them sort of telling me that it was just this it was very very weird movie it, it, and it's like uh, their quote was it's not like the game and it was just this i couldn't quite wrap my head around this this uh, this notion that it's not like the game in the end i was sort of given the option do i want to go and see super mario brothers or do i want to go and see jurassic park and i opted to go and see jurassic park and in hindsight i think it was probably the right decision to quote an ancient knight of the realm you have chosen wisely right well we have got some big big releases this week holy heckins you want to talk about some heavy hitters obviously Mortal monday has just passed on september 13th mutant league football is also released on the mega drive but check this out super street fighter 2 is also released as is gunstar heroes there's a name i've not heard in a long time that game right? is still revered today it's great absolutely fan flipping tastic game a game i actually didn't play until i was at university and uh, a friend of mine i worked at game station with loved it and he lent me his copy and i was like this game's absolutely incredible it's mind-blowing how much fun this is and yeah a uh, big big fan of gunstar heroes but like that is four big hitters there in in this week alone and here we are still in september we're not even a peak christmas season yet <laughs> no i know <laughs> One thing Games Master has actually made me very aware of is how many games were being released still. Because, okay, mm. some of the review sections we've had, they review games that have actually been out quite a while. But there's always a couple of newer titles or titles that maybe i just forgotten about. And yet, I've got a fully loaded SNES Mini. I've got a fully loaded NES Mini. I know how many games actually came out in that time period. But it's not until I'm watching the show that I'm like, oh, wow, that actually came out in the same month as street fighter 2 or that came out in the same month as mortal Kombat or mario kart i i don't know maybe it's because it was before the internet and words in magazines were just words in magazines i've no idea but one of the joys of doing this podcast is i'm playing way more retro games yeah absolutely uh what's going up on in the magazines now we're at the second episode of games master for season three so given that we had issue nine out during this time period You'd have expected them to have something in there going, hey, Games Master's back. Hey, we've got a new host. Hey, something's going on. But issue nine, which ran from the 19th of August through to the 16th of September, so the day that this episode is broadcast, contains no mention of season three of Games Master, no mention of Dexter Fletcher, and Dominic Diamond is still writing his big purple column. Really? I find that shocking and to me it raises some real questions about what was going on behind the scenes at Hewland, what was going on behind the scenes at Channel 4 and what weren't they telling the magazine production team or what mm. weren't the magazine production team allowed to say because we know they'd have filmed a good chunk of season three by this point. We have talked to people that will have filmed for season three but there's no mention of it at all in the magazine. Dominic himself with his big purple column, it's kind of business as usual, but also not. He actually dedicates the entire column to his favourite band in the world, the Manic Street Preachers, has some anecdotes about the time he spent with them, including a picture with all four of them, because yes, it's that era of the Manic Street Preachers, <laughs> where they're all looking suitably moody. They certainly do, don't they? But while Dominic makes no real mention of the show or video games as a major topic in this column in the intro he does give a hint that something might be going on yes it's still going strong the column they tried to ban 
Okay, let's face it, this column is absolute drivel and always has been. The only people who don't hate it are my mum and Jim. Well, the good news is that next month, for reasons which have to remain under wraps for this month, this column will be seen to improve greatly. But the bad news is that this issue, I'm not going to make any attempt to write about games because I fancy a change. Instead, I'm writing the biggest pile of self-indulgence you'll ever read. I'm going to tell you about the last time I saw my favourite band, The Manic Street Preachers. If you want to read on, please do. If you don't, who cares? I still get paid. (laughs) Now, we'll get to talk to Dom at the end of this season, as we bridge the gaps between season three and season four. But reading that paragraph, something feels like it's going on. Yeah. There's his normal level of don't care, which you got in the purple column, or the it's all a bit of a lark anyway, which is fine. It's great. And it's one of the things that made me love his big purple column. Still not free of the diamondisms. They're still there. (laughs) If Dexter's not doing them, someone's got to. But he talks about big changes in next month's issue. Well, I don't know what that is because I'm still (laughs) tracking down issue 10. Yeah. So we have a magazine that covers the first two weeks of season three being broadcast and doesn't have it mentioned in the memorable dates. And then we have Mm. issue 10, which comes out two weeks in. And then we have issue 11, which has an interview with Dexter Fletcher. So I am really excited, fingers crossed, to be able to see how issue 10 deals with this radical departure for the show during episode 3 next week. Or, to use a bad influence, but more on that later. (laughs) Hello. Hello and welcome to the show. Tonight we have a first in Dave Master history. Eight players will compete in one mega challenge. Yes, eight will compete, but only one will have the chance to win TV's most sought-after prize, the famous Golden Joystick. Well, this is a Games Master first, Ash. We have got eight. Yeah, that's right, count them. It's not one. It's not two. It's not nine. It's eight players doing this big mega sports challenge. Hang on. Yeah, that's more than five. It is, in fact more than five mind blown because actually (laughs) as much as i run that joke into the ground five was our maximum number of competitors before now in the take that challenge five players playing diner blaster or bomberman which will actually come back again in this episode later on spoilers (laughs) but let's find out what our eight players will be playing games master well this is a turner eight players the challenge i've chosen for them is on ultimate soccer for the sega mega drive a nice, friendly game of indoor football will sort out the good from the bad. As it's indoors, no throw-ins or corners will interrupt the game. Just to make things even more special, our contestants will be representing their home countries. I, of course, will remain completely impartial. England, England, England. We're kicking things off with Ultimate Soccer Indoor Football Style, a very, very blue game. This is a very blue indoor sports field. It is blue, and as we've already made a joke, and I swore we wouldn't do it last episode, something's got to be blue in this series now, and (laughs) if it's not going to be the host, then why not the field? But Dexter is still full of energy, the crowd is still full of energy, and we're going to meet the players because two teams of four representing two different countries. I like where this is going, Luke. This feels like an event, much like last week's did. Have you got anything to tell us about Ultimate Soccer? I mean, Ultimate Soccer was developed by Rage Software. Sega were very keen for it to be released for the Mega Drive to the point where they actually allowed them to put Sonic in the game menus. Is this why it's so blue? 
It could be Sonic Blue. <laughs> At least he wasn't a hidden character like on NBA Jam. That would have been weird. Remember that time when Mario and Peter were in that NBA game? Yeah, I've got it. Yeah, it's weird, right? NBA Streets on the GameCube. Yeah, really bizarre. But whilst the game met with Sega's approval, it had no other endorsement, so it had national teams with entirely fake names. Right, okay. It also had no battery backup, which means that if you were playing the game, you had to complete it all in one sitting. But one thing it did have, and that's why it's here right now, is if you take one of those four-player multi-taps and then you take another of those four-player multi-taps. Do you know what you got, Luke? Wait, wait, I mean, it's more than five. That's eight players. It is eight players. You can have eight people playing the same football game on your Sega Mega Drive. And this was a first. And I can't imagine that getting messy whatsoever. It'd be bad enough now with wireless controllers. Can you imagine <laughs> it with wired controllers? <laughs> what a minefield to try and walk through. Also, some poor bastard will get stuck with the Amiga joystick that's just been <laughs> added on because they ran out of Mega Drive pads. And yes, Games Master, I see you, because that's exactly <laughs> what happens in this challenge. So please give a big football-like cheer for our ultimate soccer players. England, captain by Woody, and Scotland, captain by Jimbo. <laughs> Thank you very much, everybody. Now the teams are with me. Uh, Woody, you're the captain. You've right. got some team tactics. Well, basically, we're going to go out for all out attack and give it our best shot over the full 90 minutes, Brian. Yes, nice one. Thanks very much. Fine, well, please. And Scotland, intimidated by that at all? No, not at all. We're just going to come here and beat the crap out of them, basically. Yeah, yeah. well, good luck, guys. Bit of team intimidation going on there. You don't think so? No, no, no. no. The Scottish keeper, anyway. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, the Scottish so. keeper's a bit dubious. Scottish keeper. Top form. Top they're not worried. But as you said there, it is England versus Scotland. England captained by Woody. Scotland captained by Jimbo. They do football chants. They all come down the stairs. And my, I've got a pick for this. Absolutely, have I got a pick for this. And it's Jimbo and his Rage Against the Machine t-shirts. And I'm glad you bring that up because let's talk about the two teams. You've got the England team captain by Woody and they come out and they are in a uniform. They are wearing their England strip. They are ready to get out there on the pitch and give it their best for the full 90 minutes. I don't know why I made that kind of motion, but oh, I did. Oh, you did. Oh, full 90 minutes. Balls. <laughs> Scotland are dressed for a night on the town. This is just a bunch of lads. Like, <laughs> England are ready for a football game. These are a bunch of lads. My exact note was England squad are all wearing their matching strip and the Scottish team look like normal human beings. <laughs> Jimbo is in the this Rage Against the Machine long sleeve top. Instantly, he's my fave. But there's another guy wearing a Games Master t-shirt. So I thought initially... It was something he might have picked up from Games Master Live 92. But it wasn't until we interviewed Danny Pacina last week about his time there. And he told us that he got given Games Master t-shirts. And it is the Games Master t-shirt that, that the lad here is wearing that makes me think that he was wearing a band t-shirt that did not agree with Channel 4 or whoever it was that was putting this show together. They're like, do you know what? I don't think I'm going to let you go out there with that Slayer t-shirt. Can you just put on this Games Master t-shirt instead? I mean, really, did you think it was a good idea to wear a t-shirt that showed a nun masturbating with a crucifix? <laughs> Legitimate t-shirt that was available at this time from Alchemy Designs. I remember seeing yeah. it at the Birmingham NEC, not for Games Master Live, but in a year or so's time at the memorabilia show. But I tell you what else is present in this challenge. Not only are there people in football strips and also people that look like normal human beings, 
That fucking air horn survived the uh, games rig crashing. Oh, didn't it just? It's in full force here tonight. But at home here because it's football, Luke. Yeah, I did enjoy like the football like chants of them walking down doing the The crowd are into this and I can understand why because no one in this crowd has seen eight people playing one video game at the same time. This is batshit. <laughs> Even me watching it now in 2020 when I can go online if I choose and I usually don't but if I can go online and play Halo or COD Blocks or whatever you want against 32 other people or I can go and play Tetris on my Switch against 99 other people. It still somehow blew my mind that I was sat here watching eight people all plug into a Mega Drive. This was witchcraft. It, it's, it's absolutely nuts. And not only do the England team look like the England team, they sound like the England team by basically making empty promises. <laughs> Scotland have a much more down-to-earth attitude. Jimbo says they're going to come down here and beat the crap out of them. <laughs> come on, Scotland. Come on, Jimbo. Take home that golden joystick. He's my pick. My note, I'm all Scotland for this game. <laughs> With me in the commentary box is Neil West from Mega Magazine. Hello, Dexter. How you doing? Very well. So, is this the ultimate soccer game or it what? It is the ultimate soccer game, game, and it is very good because it is the first Sega game to use the multiplayer tap, which means, as you can see out there, eight people can play at once. Sounds good. Okay, so we've got two teams competing. The winning team is going to go through to the final where it's going to be every man for himself. Neil West is in the booth sporting a very, very nice and very timely CCCP jumper. So Cradle of Filth or Masturbating Nun didn't make it, but CCCP did. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this is a brave new world for Channel 4. They are playing against the bluest of blue backgrounds, and it does not help that Scotland are dressed in blue. But I tell you what it does help, and the reason why it's blue is because this is indoor football. And this made me realise that Games Master has nailed how to make football challenges exciting no matter what. You stop the ball going out of play. Absolutely. No throw-ins, no goal kicks, just carry on, always going. Genius. Absolute genius. Particularly when eight players, you'd have people kicking the ball all off the screen. It would be chaos incarnate. Indoor football is the best mode on football games. When we get to FIFA 97, that indoor football mode on that is the only way to play that game. The, game, the game's great and all, but the indoor football mode is where it's at. We talked last week about summer holidays and what I did during them. I know I'd have gone down the local sports centre with some local people and played five-a-side indoor football. Yes. I was not a very sporty person at that point. I did like some football and I did play some football. Do you know what made football even better to me? Not having to be the one to run halfway down the field to get the ball back. Yes, absolutely. Well, Dexter's on our side in this as well because he's cheering on Scotland. Not a football fan is Dexter Fletcher, as it turns out, while Neil is uh, cheering on England. And um, it's funny because like, because Scotland score first and Neil's like, hey, then remembers that he's already set up that he's cheering England. He's like, oh, no, wait, no. Uh, boo. Scotland are doing this with an immensely pro-England crowd because, you know, this is being filmed in England. There are going to yeah. be more English people in that audience than there are Scottish. Doesn't phase them in the slightest because they score the first goal. In fact, it's the only goal. It's the only goal, yeah. But not for the want of trying because 
as the game goes on, I'd say they probably get about 70% of possession. Mm -hmm. England get a few runs on goal, but for the most part, Scotland dominate and get the attacks in. And they also get the slightly squiffy attacks in because they kick the out of the England players, <laughs> just like he said he would. He lives yeah. up to his promise. It's because Jimbo is the man. Now, you said uh, that they were not playing on eight Mega Drive pads in this then. Yeah, at least one of the pads is not a pad. It's a stick. Uh, one of the England players definitely is on the far left of the screen as you're looking at it, and he's holding a joystick. Now, there were some joysticks available for the Mega Drive, or more accurately, there were some joysticks available that worked on either the Mega Drive or the Amiga and the Atari. They kind of had a mm. switch to make it work properly. But if you're a console gamer, you're more likely to be used to the Mega Drive D-pad, and also the controls on this football game are going to be optimised for a D-pad and three buttons. Yep, absolutely. He's really going to struggle playing this if he is just playing it with that one joystick and a one button. There were three other players, and they still stank. So realistically, he can't blame the joystick, although they try. This must have been solid, though. Like, really, really difficult, because I would have thought the way that you would play this game is that everyone is going to be running to the same position. It's hard to sort of, like, you know, chat amongst yourselves to sort of, like, get yourselves like you would in a real football game. I'm going to go out wide, you go into the centre. When you're playing a game, your first thought is, I need to head to the ball. And if you can't quite work out where you are on screen... There must have been players spending most of their time just running around in circles, just running away from all the action and thinking they're running towards the action, or even just confusing themselves for the person who's got the ball or something. I genuinely reckon that the England team spent a lot of time making sure they had their kits nice and matching, and the Scottish yeah. team played the bloody game. Yep, very possibly. Scotland win it 1-0, just like real life, says Neil West, and he ain't wrong there. Lack of communication amongst your team? Could have been a lack of communication, but the controllers were, uh, they didn't work. You're blaming the controllers? I'm afraid so. Sick as parrots. Sick as parrots. Typical England sort of uh, reply there. So we won't say any more. Scotland, please yourselves. Yeah, definitely. Didn't surprise that you won? No, we came here. We expected an easy match, and that's basically what we got. It was easy, was it? Yeah. All right, lads, don't get riled. Okay, it was an easy match. Post match, England do say a lack of communication could have been an issue and then blame the controllers. Hey, bad workman blames his tools. Lack of communication could well have been it, though, because if the Scotland team got together beforehand and said, right, pass it up to me, work the defence, actually use strategy, because this is also one of the first challenges where it's a proper team competition and strategy could be discussed beforehand. Yeah. England were outmatched, outpaced and outplayed. They really, really were. My boy Jimbo, absolutely leading the team to victory. Get in, lad. But what this means, Luke, is while Scotland won the Scotland v England match, they've now got to fight each other at the end of the programme. Ash, we're two episodes in. I like this format, man. I do as well. And maybe I'll get tired of it. I suppose it depends on the games because last week it was all Mortal Kombat all the time and that was great. This week we started with a football game that while not the best had something impressive about it. It was eight players and we know what's coming at the end of the episode and it's a Stone Cold Classic. Mm -hmm. First up it's rock and roll racing. A one or two player intergalactic hot rod derby set over 37 blistering racetracks. Select your car, put your pedal to the metal and blow away the opposition. It's really fast, it's really brilliant to look at, and the sound is fantastic. Loads of 70s rock anthems all beefed up for the Super NES. 
the feel of the game is very much like Super Off-Road Racer. It's great fun, and uh, you really enjoy throwing the cart around the track. Great thing about rock and roll racing is where you can blow other competitors off the track. You can spike them, you can bomb them, you can blow them away with all kinds of missiles and guns. I can guarantee you'll be stuck to the screen for many hours. It's really very addictive. In the review zone this week, we've got Frank O'Connor from Turtle Magazine, Dave Perry from Mega Power, Jeremy Doldry, games expert, Steve Merritt from Megatech, Jazz Rignall from Me Machine Sega, and Brad Burton from Over the Edge Magazine. Good crikey there are a lot of magazines out there ash this is the heyday of gaming magazines some titles are closing but then splitting into other titles we started with me machines then we have me machine sega a nintendo magazine system me machines itself was born out of c and vg they're like mogwai <laughs> if you get a pack of games journalists wet and I'm going to stop that thought there. Yeah, we'll stop that thought there. But that's okay, because Luke, rock and roll <laughs> racing. Wait, you want to talk about... Uh, I don't know how many more times I can say that this is a golden time to be a gaming fan, but fucking hell, we have got rock and roll racing for the Super Nintendo. What a fucking brilliant game. And I tell you what, it's rare that you swear more than me, but you're fucking right. <laughs> I can't help it, man. It's rock and roll fucking racing. And the thing that I did not realise until recently is while I remembered, always remembered, that this game was published by Interplay, I did not realise that it was developed by Silicon and Synapse, who are now known as Blizzard Entertainment. Yeah, right. So these guys were good at making crack games way before World of War crack. <laughs> but it was originally developed as a sequel it was developed as a sequel to rpm racing a game they developed for the snes and at the end of the project interplay marketing was smart and they went let's let's add some let's add some music and change the name to rock and roll racing and it's a good game without the music but with the music it's a great game i i don't know how i'm gonna pick a track for this like i've always got a track that's playing in the background how am i gonna pick just one track from rock and roll racing to, to to use the bed music. I honestly don't know because this was the point in time when my musical tastes were getting a little bit heavier. And by that, I mean, I was really discovering the rock edge of classic rock. And in comparison to the literally thousands of tracks that I have in rock band by now, mm. this is a tiny selection, but every single one of these tracks is a stone cold banger. Bad to the Bone, George Thorogood and the Destroyers, Highway Star by Deep Purple, which is a track that if I need to get revved up, Highway Star <laughs> still works. Paranoid by Black Sabbath. The Peter Gunn theme by Henry Mancini, most well-known to most people as music from the Blues Brothers. Indeed. Born to be Wild by Steppenwolf, one of the songs that kicked off that harder-edged rock generation. And on the Mega Drive only, so I didn't hear this until we went to Emulationville, Radar Love by Golden Earring. The, the, <laughs> the game is a lawsuit waiting to be happened as well because they've got the they've got these tracks right that's almost taken the, the vanilla rice we haven't taken under pressure the notes are a bit different it's the wcw way of doing entrance music they've also basically just taken all of your favorite characters from your favorite movies made slight modifications to them given them slightly different names to be like that's an original character now See, you do say that about the music, and I will agree, the art style is very much ripped from your favourite comics and cartoon series, but the music was licensed. Is it? Okay, that's interesting. I didn't know it was actually licensed music. I thought it, because 
there's a the Spider-Man Maximum Carnage game features also a lot of like similar tracks to the the lineup to this, but they do take the vanilla rice. Ah, we've just changed a few of the notes. Now it's a new track. No, it's uh, it's definitely licensed music because they did a modern release of the classic game. The music was missing because the license had expired. Right. Thing is, it wouldn't have been as expensive to license this. You'll notice that there's no Led Zeppelin there. There's no Rolling Stones. There's no Pink Floyd. There's no Beatles. There's some biggish names there, but they're the names you also see on all of the dad rock compilations that start to appear at this point, including the best rock album in the world ever, which I recently rebought on cassette because that was one of my favourites. That's the one with the globe and the jukebox crashing into it, right? The globe with the jukebox crashing into it is the best rock and roll album in the world ever. Ah, the right. one with the globe that's just exploding from the sheer fuck power of rock. <laughs> that's the best rock album in the world ever. We're saying the word fuck a lot on this episode. <laughs> it's rock and roll fucking racing. We haven't even got to what the reviewers are saying about it because does it really matter? This game is good. If you've got an emulator, if you've got a SNES Classic, go out there and give this a go. You will probably like it. Legit, my friend at university, Splat, this is his favourite game ever. You ask him, if you if you sat him down and said, what's the best game ever made without a beat, without any hesitation, he will look you square in the eyes and will say, rock and roll racing on the Super Nintendo. He, it, it, to him, it's a perfect game. And I don't think he's wrong. It is so much fun. Like Jeremy Daltrey says that it's really addictive in this. And it, he's absolutely right on that because it's just, you finish a race and instantly you want to do another one. It's brilliantly designed. The soundtrack's wicked. The design of the characters is really fun. It, and it's on the right side of the lawsuit. It's, it's a brilliant game. It's And actually, do you know what? It deserves way higher than 86%. Well, I was going to say that. It does get 86%. Games Master Magazine gives it 92%. So they're on the side of justice. But wait a minute, Luke. What's Dave Perry doing in the review zone? Because he's here <laughs> repping Mega. Yeah, right? But thankfully, he also really likes the game. He says it's good fun and you really have fun throwing the car around the track. He doesn't point out that it is very similar to the game that it was kind of the sequel to, but he does point out that it feels very similar to Super Off-Road Racing. And he's not wrong because there was only really one way you could do these isometric two-thirds type view racing games. Yeah. And fair credit to Interplay because they found a way to elevate theirs above the standard. I want to go play rock and roll racing now, man. What a genius idea to license music to enhance a game rather than it being the selling point. I'm looking at you, Aerosmith and Revolution X, or, as we kind of discussed the other week, that weird-ass Journey arcade <laughs> game with digitised faces, which I looked up, by the way, after the episode, and yes, it is a weird little shoot-em-up with Journey's digitised faces and a tape loop. It's not even digital music. It's an analog tape loop of a very, very shortened radio edit of the song Separate Ways. Yeah. Which is one of my favourite Journey songs. But if I had to hear it through a rapidly degrading tape loop on an arcade machine, I'd probably hate it. <laughs> it would probably like change me over to easy listening music.
Next up, it's Thunderhawk. 48 separate missions of Mega CD Chopper action. Fight the enemy in jungles and over frozen wastelands. But if you're not careful, you could end up in a body bag. Gorgeous 3D graphics. Gameplay simple. Destroy all the enemy, destroy their buildings, destroy their missile installations. It's really fast, it's really fun, and it's furious. It's hard to differentiate between the targets and the backdrops, but there's great sound, there's great graphics, and as you get more concerned with the mission directives, you really get absorbed into the game. It becomes very addictive. Up next, it's our first ever review for the Mega CD. It's Thunderhawk. Frank's saying it's got gorgeous 3D graphics. Dave's in the targets and the backdrops are hard to tell apart, which, you know, pretty much contradicts what Frank was just saying then. But you will get addicted to the story 81% for Thunderhawk on the Mega CD. It was a game that originally came out in 1992 for the Amiga and MS-DOS. It was developed by Core Design. And while this Mega CD version came out in 1993, there was a Windows version released in 1996. And like some other games we have discussed, and more that we will discuss down the line, there was an abandoned Atari Jaguar port in development. Poor old <laughs> Atari Jaguar. Not I only know. was it a doomed console, but they had so many ports that either never appeared were just baffling. Yeah. Why would you have developed this for the Atari Jaguar when it was already at least two years old? But it was very critically acclaimed, both here and elsewhere, and it was also fairly well received by the gaming public because it did well enough to spawn two more sequels, Firestorm, Thunderhawk 2, and Thunderhawk, Operation Phoenix. They liked their fire motifs. Mm. And in addition to the sequels, the engine was also used for some other core games, including Shellshock, which I'm fairly certain I played on the PlayStation on a demo disc, probably a demo disc that came with the official PlayStation magazine, because, yeah, man alive, those demo discs were something else. On the subject of that, I watched a video recently on YouTube because it came up in a recommended feed. Katakuris, I'm going to give a shout out to him, recently did a video. It's about 40 minutes long, but it reviews those PlayStation demo discs that came with the magazines. And it is a great video. Oh, I'm going to have to go and check that out because I had so many of those demo discs. And do you know the best thing about the PlayStation discs in general? The uh, menu music? No, the black underside, just PlayStation in general. They weren't just CDs. Ah, right. They had the dark coating, which was just a bit sexy. <laughs> Mysterious. In haunting, use your ghostly powers as poltergeist to take possession of over 400 household appliances then you have to use these to spook your money-grabbing relatives out of your house. It's really great being a poltergeist. You get to scare the family, you get to sit and jump out their skins, you get to jump out of the loo, what more could you want? In terms of lasting appeal, it may be a little repetitive. It's a nice game, it's very original, but really, at the end of the day, the only thing that's really frightening is it's a very high price tag. Brilliant. Nice little game, nice little touches. I'd say value for money. Don't listen to the rest of them. Well, speaking of sexy and mysterious, this is a game I absolutely love. Haunting, starring Poltergeist. It's an electronic arts game. I, uh, I'm a big fan of this game, man. I, I fell in love with it at university. I, I picked it up while I was working at GameStation, and I just got really hooked playing it. I do agree with what Steve says here, that it does get a bit repetitive when you play through it, especially if you don't really know what you're supposed to be doing. And I do think the novelty can wear off also, fuck that sewer section. Like, if you die and you have to go down, you have to go get your spirit level back, that bit can absolutely do one. But there's something about Poltergeist I really, really like, or Haunting, I should say, starring Poltergeist. 
whether it's the design of the character of Poltergeist, whether it is the animations that sort of go around, I, I just I get a lot of kicks out of this game. It's also quite a unique concept because we have lots of top-down games involving monsters. Uh, Zombies Ate My Neighbours is one that immediately leaps to my mind. This is kind of the inverse. This is putting you in the position of the monster or the ghost mm -hmm. in this case. I've not played this game, but I've actually obtained a copy of it to go and play it because in addition to this version that we see here it was released as part of the ea replay range for the playstation portable and thankfully a lot of those smaller playstation portable games are now very easy to find via websites <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know i like haunting i'll be interested to see what you think of it because yeah i do think the novelty could possibly wear off just but particularly if you're looking at it through sort of modern day eyes um, I will say, actually, I do agree with the 75% score that it gets here. I think that is very, very fair. Although the, you do get conflicting ideas here because you've got Jazz Rignall saying that the only thing that's terrifying about it is the price tag, but Brad saying that it's good value for money. I, I think I'm going to stick with Brad on this one than I, am, than I am the Jazz Man. Also, did we get an invasion from last week's Review Zone crew? Because suddenly some random journalists appeared that were not in the previous two games just to comment on this one. Yeah, it seems to be the new format for Series 3 is that the first two games are reviewed by a certain group and then the last game is reviewed by a different group. Because this happens again in Episode 3. I'm not against it because it gives a bit more variety to voices over the games. Maybe it's just how they recorded the sessions or when the release date's mixed up, but it's something a bit different. It's a small change, but it is a bit of a change. Imagine this. You're late for class and you've still got all that homework to do. Time's running short and if you don't get it done, you know you're in big trouble. Nothing's going right. And worst of all, you've forgotten your mum's birthday. What a nightmare! <laughs> Never fear, because here's something that may stop you losing any more sleep. The Newton Message Pad from Apple. With built-in time zones, calculator, add-on encyclopedias, and loads of other features, it does more than just remind you about your homework. Got some diagrams to do with no ruler? No problem. Just grab the pen, do them rough, and Newton tidies them up for you. When you're done, just plug your Newton into the printer, and out it comes. If you're not happy with anything, just scribble it out and start again. If you need to make notes, no matter how bad your squiggle is, Newton's designed to recognise your scrawl and convert it into beautifully typed text. Stuck on something? Why not call a mate? Just tell Newton who you want to call and it'll find you the number. It won't stop there though. Just hold it up against the phone and it'll even send the dial tone down the wire and call your mate for you. When you're done, use the special wastebasket feature to let you clear up the screen and get started on the next job on your busy schedule. If you think that's clever, how about sending an electronic signal to your mate? Using the special beam function, you can pass written messages between Newtons without even having to connect them. Just write down your problem and beam it over. Cheat on as many exam questions as you like and pass as many messages over as you like. One word of warning though, if you're gonna use it, don't get caught. Oh, Luke, last week was all Mortal Kombat, but this week's feature is something quite special that has nothing to do with gaming. No, this is this is your bad influence feature of the week, I'm afraid. This is about the Newton message pad, which is, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a digital file of facts. See, you say that, I say this is the iPad a decade or more early. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. 
I mean, but what is the iPad but a digital file of facts? I mean, it's a note-taking system for a start. It's what I'm using <laughs> to, like, hold my thoughts together for this podcast, sometimes competently. You can take notes. You can hold notes in a file of facts. You can, but you know what? Sooner or later, you run out of paper. But sooner or later, you're going to run out of space. Not because of the cloud. Uh, well, yes, but you've run out of space in the cloud as well. I know, because my <coughs> phone keeps reminding me that I've reached my limits on it and wants me to pay for extra storage on it, which I don't want to do. Ah, well, that's your limitation, not the cloud's limitation. <laughs> if you want more paper in a file of facts, you've got to buy more. Yeah, get a bigger file of facts. But anyway, either way, I actually really, really like this feature because as much as the new and trending tech features in Games Master fall on their face, and as cringy as this one is at times where they give the concept that there would not be one but two people in your class that have one of these things, yeah, what they were showing people doing there is what people are doing now. This is the pad in Star Trek The Next Generation. This is a glimpse at where we will be in 10, 15 years' time. And I think it's fascinating. I did not have this Newton, but I did way, way down the line have a secondhand Newton, one of the later generations. Right. And it was clunky. It was clunky as fuck. It was not a great system. The handwriting recognition, well, my handwriting's not great, but its recognition of my handwriting was worse than my handwriting. Mm -hmm. But so many of the features that you see here are now commonplace for either iPads, tablets, or smartphones. You've got note-taking, calendar functions, handwriting recognition, messaging, email, the ability to print, although wirelessly now, we don't even need a cable. So much here is innovative. It's proper innovation at a point where Apple were proper innovators. Now, I still use Apple products. You still use Apple products. I think we're talking on Apple products now. Yeah. But back then, they were just doing crazy shit. It's a fascinating feature for all of the reasons that you said there. It'd be the sort of feature that you'd want to show uh, a kid now who's only ever really known a you know a mobile phone that they've that they've got. You want to show this to like a ten year old who's only ever grown up in a world where mobile phones are commonplace to be like, this is what it was once like. You know, this is what because it, it's not it's not a phone. Hey, if you want to send a, a message to your friend, a They've got to have the exact same device. B, you've got to be in the same room with them. C, they've got to be close enough together to receive those messages. And if you've ever played the dance of the remote controls trying to get a slightly obscured infrared receiver to change the goddamn channel, you know the challenge of that. But you said it's not a phone, and it's not. It's not. But the feature on this that blew my mind the most out of all the things they showed is, okay, cool, it's a phone book. Like a file of packs, as you said. But you know what a Philofax can't do? Hey, it can't send a dial tone down a phone. That to me was insane because I saw that and thought, you know what? That's actually genuinely useful at that period in time because you can imagine someone who was an executive or maybe a PA of an executive or secretary or who managed a large amount of contacts and they could have all those names, numbers and addresses in their Newton and they need to ring around and let them know that there's a deadline or something's happened, you just call up the name, pick up the phone, and let it do the business. There's no dialing or getting the area codes right or looking and remembering and referring backwards and forwards. That was really smart. I mean, less so if you're, you're seven years old and you know three people's phone numbers. Yeah, but I was like 12 and knew 10 <laughs> people's phone numbers. <laughs> so, so double dumbass on you. <laughs> 
Well, it's time for our celebrity challenge. Let's head on over to Games Master and find out what we're playing. My next challenge is a veritable orgy of destruction. King of the Monsters 2 on the Neo Geo. It's a two-player battle. We are huge dinosaurs back in the city in an attempt to destroy each other. You're well advised to keep an eye out for the power-ups, which will emerge from the ruins of the city to make your dinosaur much bigger and stronger. But beware, as some power-ups do much more harm than good. It's the best of three rounds, and I want a nice, dirty fight. Hey, it's the return of an old favourite from Series 2, King of the Monsters 2, the next big thing. You know, not as groundbreaking as some of the stuff we've seen thus far this episode, but it's a big old meaty, good-looking game. It's simple to play, it's fun, it's a crowd-pleaser. Please welcome tonight's celebrity contestant. Aye, aye, it's the dream girl herself, Gabrielle, and her opponent is Nadine Hadley from Wolverhampton. Okay, first of all, Gabrielle, congratulations on your top success. So, you've played lots of computer games yourself? No, I'm afraid not. You don't? Well, don't worry about it. I don't think this one's too hard. <laughs> see. What about you, Nadine? Do you play a lot? I know you've got some dinosaurs around your neck here. Are you a little bit of a monster yourself? Sometimes. Sometimes. Alright, but don't worry about it. Good job. And playing this game, it is UK pop starlet who had her first number one in between Series 2 ending and Series 3 starting. It's Gabrielle, and she's going to be taking on Nadine Hadley. This is definitely one of those cases where the guest is here to promote something to do with their career. We brought it up during the Series 2 wrap-up with regarding mm -hmm. to my least favourite celebrity. Yes. With Kathy Dennis, who was clearly there to do the publicity round and had no interest in games at all. She was more interested in saving the environment, so they gave her Mick and Mac Global Gladiators. I think it's outrageous that this could be released as a game. And unfortunately, Gabrielle definitely seems to fall into that category here. But I'm not going to hold that against her because you know what? I f***ing love Gabrielle. Ed, I mean, dude, she is an absolute icon of the early to mid 90s, even into the late 90s, really. Like everyone knew Gabrielle. And she had a hell of a lot in life because one of the things she's most well known for is one of her eyes is always covered. It's either covered with hair or for a good period of her career, an eye patch. And the reason for that is she did suffer from a drooping eyelid. The reason for that is she originally had a condition where there was some extra muscles or, or something in the eye which caused it to twitch rapidly, mm. the eyelid to twitch. So they were removed and the eyelid itself was actually shortened, but drooping eyelid. And unfortunately, that made her life as a kid hell. She was mm. bullied. She was incredibly self-conscious. She suffered from extraordinarily bad depression. She made it through school. She made it to her A-levels. And at that point, she just went. She abandoned her plans to study law and began singing in nightclubs. And from that point onwards, even to this day, she is virtually never seen without either the hair down over one side, sunglasses or some form of eye covering. Only those closest to her will ever see both eyes which i entirely respect absolutely yeah like the hair over the eye is the one that i remember the most i just remember like being at school and i always remember there just being rumor upon rumor and rumor after rumor as to why she has that like i remember one kid telling me that uh, her eyes are different colors uh I, always just felt like there was a different rumor about gabrielle no matter which kid you spoke to about why she covers up her eye but she is still going and still singing today. And in fact, while doing the research and running around, I read a fairly recent interview with her. And when I read that interview, I see the words of a woman that has endured a hell of a lot 
but he's also remarkably strong, very funny, and just so goddamn talented. Oh, yeah. So it makes me sad that she does fall into that category of, I'm just here to do a bit of publicity. Yeah, but while she is just here to do publicity, Nadine Hadley is here to play games, and she is shy. She is this shy little girl. She is so, so sweet. This is the shyest kid we've had yet on season three. In fact, I'd argue this kid is shyer than most of the kids we had on season two. She's also, she is very young. Yeah, very young. Thankfully, Dexter seems to know how to handle it fairly well because, you know, he's in full presenter mode. Mm -hmm. And also, he would have had experience working around kids in his role as an actor, including in Press Gang. So he does a pretty good job of handling her. And Gabrielle as well, while quite reserved in herself, possibly because Dexter made an I.I. joke, which I winced at. That was... Mm. mm. But she's pretty good at taking the girl under her wing. Yeah. She, She deals with it nicely. But yeah, Gabrielle says she doesn't really play games. Nadine does. She plays a lot of games. And they're going to play King of the Monsters. And one of the great things about King of the Monsters is even if you're cack at games, it will still look okay because it's big monsters destroying. Okay, well, if you want to see Gabrielle play Nadine Hadley on King of the Monsters 2, then stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Four months' supply of toothpaste. Four months' soap. Four months' loo roll. And up to four months' supply of Maxi Flush bleach toilet cleaner. Cleaning with a concentrated germ killing surge every flush. Maxi Flush bleach and blue for a clean four months. Right, the coast should be clear by now. <laughs> Sorry I'm late, everyone. Oh, cracky! What's happened here? Where's Mike? Oh, so did the Street Fighter 2 Turbo characters turn up for the interview then? <laughs> ah, I see you've gone to show off the new moves then. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. <laughs> ah, that'll be their special combat speed. But did anyone experience their new fireball capability? Oh. Oh, well, that works then, eh? <laughs> well, if I'd known you were having this much fun, I'd never have hidden in the lavish and pretended to be late. Street Fighter 2 Turbo, an intimidating, invincible Nintendo. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Maynard's original wine gums are filled with delicious juicy flavor just waiting to be set loose. All you've got to do... It's you! Hoots, Mum, there's juice. Loose, I'm out this house. Set the juice loose! to our celebrity challenge where we have Gabrielle and the Dean Hadley battling it out on King of the Monsters 2. 
in the commentary box with me this week, I've got Dave Perry of Mega Power Magazine. All right, Dave. All right. How you doing? So, what's some uh, good things they could look out for on this channel? Well, as these two giant monsters rip this city up, there'll be various um, bonuses yeah. and power-ups and energy pills that will become available to them. Right. Uh, they want to pick those up if they can, but some of them aren't too good for them, so you want to be careful for the bad ones. We come back from the ad break. Dave Perry is in the booth and essentially just repeats what Games Master has already told us, which is about picking up those power-ups avoiding the bad power-ups but that's smart because what you want to do when you're making a tv show that's got an ad break is when you come back from the ad break recap what people might have missed from the first half and so dave perry is here to remind us here's what's good here's what's bad let's get to it so they play the king of monsters too it's not particularly great action between them but i i don't think that gabrielle nor nadine are particularly great at it but as you said like before the first ad break because it's King of the Monsters and it is monsters smashing up buildings and them doing, you know, the big sort of super moves, it does make them look like they're fairly competent at it, really. And it also looks like they're having fun. Gabrielle is laughing. She's waving her hands. She even, I think, kind of puts her arm around Nadine at a few points. She may be there on the publicity shtick, but she's not an asshole. No. Oh, absolutely not. No. And. She can do a Letty slam as well. She does. She does. The The spirit of Letty lives on in this new era of Games Master. Yeah, it it's an okay challenge. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. It's fun because it's also a Neo Geo game. It would be a lot worse if we were looking at an American latest game again. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. It would, yeah. Oh, dear. Too well there, really, didn't she, it? She slaughtered me. She did slaughter you. She smashed me into a million pieces. <laughs> what have you got? Some secret tactic or something? No. No. You did very well. Was she easy to beat? Yeah. She was. I'm over. Oh, that's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> I weren't joking when you said you haven't played many computer games. That was your lucky charm that helped you win, you yeah. think? But Nadine gets a clean sweep on this. She wins both rounds. Uh, Gabrielle just says, "Gosh, oh, she slaughtered me. Absolutely slaughtered me." And Nadine, who's got a little bit more confidence post-match, says. She didn't have any secret tactics. She was just easy to beat. <laughs> Huge slam on Gabrielle. She'll cry into her gold records. Well, speaking of gold records, my favourite moment of this is Dexter Fletcher, absolute pro Dexter Fletcher. Just, you know, looks at it like, do you know what this means? Do you know what this means you've won? That means you've won the Golden Games Master Joystick. And you just hear Nadine go, Games Master Golden Joystick! Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's like, no, Nadine, that's when the music hits. That's the big moment. And then we see the caretaker again, who still is the most terrifying thing that has ever appeared on Games Master. That's why Nadine's so shy. It's terrified. N Nadine's shy and Gabrielle's curious, which is understandable because <laughs> he's a big hoss of a boy. We've had pro wrestlers on this show. This guy's bigger. Hello, and welcome along, one and all, to the consultation zone. Will the first problem child please make their presence felt? Games Master. Can you help me run on strike for the snack? It may be a little unsporting, but there's a secret team you can't normally select. Choose the World League option, then enter the following password. The letters B to T, excluding vowels. I do hope you know your alphabet, young man. Ignore the error message, return to the main menu, and start the game. Now, when you enter the team select screen, you can pick the all-conquering elite team which is much faster and stronger than all the rest. Thanks, Games Master. Our first kid in the consultation zone is looking for cheats on Striker for the Super Nintendo, so you can get the Secret World team by entering all of the letters from B through T without the vowels. Ignore the error message, go out to the main menu, you can now select the Elite team. 
So all the letters B through T without the vowels. So B, C, D, F, G, H, K, L, M, N, P, Q, R, S, and T. Yep, that'll do it. That'll do it. Iron Striker was an every platform kind of game. I think we might have talked about it before. It was available for the Amiga, the CD32, the Atari, the PC, the Mega Drive, the Super NES. It was one of the Amiga 1200 launch games. It came in the pack, which is actually one of the reasons its sales figures looked so impressive because they were counting the pack in as retail. That's why Wii Sports is the biggest selling Wii game. I mean, Wii Sports is also actually excellent. Oh, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Like, even if it wasn't pack in, it would have probably still been the best selling Wii game. But it was one of the first soccer games to be seen from a 3D perspective. So it's slightly groundbreaking for that. However, its general reception on a review basis was pretty mixed. And most of it was about the game speed. Some praised how fast it was and some condemned it for how fast it was. For example, on the Amiga version, CU Amiga magazine gave it 94% in June 92, whereas the German magazine Amiga Joker gave the game 64% only a month or so later. Wow, that now that is mixed. That's that that's Sonic 2 level disparity. <laughs> is there an easier way to get to later levels on Alfred Chicken and the Game Boy? Yes, there is. Get to stage two and bounce up from the start to reveal an invisible platform. Now travel to the right of the level where you can jump through the wall to a secret room containing magic jam, which allows you to spit seeds. Exit the room and shoot a seed into the top right-hand corner. Another secret platform will appear. From this, jump up and keep running left, even though you'll be off the street, to get back to the door on the first secret platform. Go in and up the secret tunnel, where you'll find five doors allowing you access to the first five levels. Great, thanks very much. This is a heck of a cheat. This is a heck of a hint here. Right, have you got a pad and paper ready? Because if you're not recording Games Master, there's no way you're going to remember all of this. Second level, go up to the left, jump up to reveal a hidden exit, then go all the way to the right, through a wall into another hidden room where you get some jam. Now, you can throw some seat. Right, so you shoot the seat, then you head up to the top right corner to reveal another hidden platform. You can now jump onto that hidden platform, and then you can jump off screen and run all the way back to the left to the original hidden door that you found at the start of the level, and that will take you to a room where you can use a spring to get to another room, and that's the warp room. That is a heck of a cheat for the consultation zone it's a heck of a cheat but also i feel a bit gypped because that's a lot of steps to run through only to get ahead like three or so levels yeah it's only level five i was gonna say it's not like the mario warp there's on you know world <laughs> world one two where you just run across the top of the screen no there's a there's a lot of hoops to jump through here also i'd forgotten how absolutely balls trippy alfred chicken is because even just looking at past this hint you find a door to a secret room where you some sort of giant mutant chicken is given magic jam by a secret talking flower. Mm -hmm. Dude, I've spent weekends in Amsterdam and I've not seen shit this weird. <laughs> Games Master, on World 7 Level 5 of Kirby on the Nez, there's a cannon that I just can't get into. What should I be doing? Eat any enemy that gives you a special power power. Now, light the fuse, then jump up the first step and slide down the others. Finally, leap into the cannon 
which will now fire you into a secret bonus room with five extra lives for your troubles. Thanks. Hope your screen gets better soon. I absolutely love Kirby. Never played it, like, you know, at the time. Didn't play it at this point here. Didn't play it when it first came out either. But played the heck out of it when it got released on the Wii Virtual Console. Played it to death, man. I thought it was great. It's a really fun game. It is a really, really fun game. And Kirby is one of these characters that, while a bit more low-key than, say, Pokemon, becomes a major power player for Nintendo. He not only becomes a kind of second-tier mascot behind Mario and Donkey Kong and those kind of things, but when you get to the later Smash Brothers games, if I understand this correctly, he's like goddamn Galactus in level of powers. He kind of yeah. holds the whole universe together or tears it apart or something. And I'm looking at these animations that I see on YouTube and thinking, he's a bloody marshmallow. Yeah. Yeah, Kirby is one of those characters that I don't think had a particular level of popularity, you know, in, in the initial run of games, but found a massive level of success thanks to Super Smash Brothers and Melee and Brawl, etc., etc. And that essentially revived the Kirby brand, if you will. Now, we've had more Kirby games off the back of that. Very good games as well, it should be added because people have sort of like fallen in love with Kirby. It's kind of like when Smash Brothers came out in the 64 and your final character that you unlock is Ness. Here in the UK, that meant absolutely nothing to us because we didn't get Earthbound and we didn't really get Mother and all this sort of stuff. It's, it certainly made no impact here. And I think Kirby was kind of that same character as well. You were like, who the hell, hell is this Kirby? Unless you play the game, who the hell is this Kirby guy? No Mario or Donkey Kong. Those are names that I recognize. Now, Kirby is way more recognizable thanks to Smash Brothers. He is. And also it means that more people have gone back and checked out the older games via the Kirby Classic Collections, which is good because the NES game in particular, it's a late entry NES game, but it is regarded as one of the best games the platform ever had to offer because it came oh, yeah. late enough in the console's life cycle that the developers knew every single trick in the book when it came to getting the most out of that little gray brick oh dude it looks great it sounds great and it plays great as well it's gorgeous to look at and it's so much fun to play and in fact i think it's part of the switch online library for the nes so i reckon that might, that might go on my little playlist for when I do have to make journeys into the city. But little Misha is very happy with the hint, and he says thank you to Games Master, and also says he hopes his squint gets better, and Games Master does not look impressed, <laughs> and makes a sound like an angry cat. But not Raja. Maybe, maybe it was. Maybe it was Raja off screen. Maybe they didn't have the budget to bring Raja back for this episode. Maybe we'll see him next episode, Luke. Who knows? But you did mention there that this little chap is called Misha, and there's a reason why we know that, is because that's what he had to say then. Here's what he's got to say now. And joining us now on Under Consultation, a chap we just heard from from many years ago. Here we are in 2020. Misha Sumra, how are you? Doing very well, thanks, guys. So we just saw you in the consultation zone on Games Master. So I guess uh, the first question to ask you is, uh, how did you get involved with Games Master? Was it just an application process? Yeah, um, 
I saw an advert saying, um, you know, if you want to be on Games Master, contact these people. I'm pretty sure, thinking about it, that it was on Digitizer, actually. Yeah, just, you know, in a, probably just at the bottom of a, the man page or something. Mm. Yeah, and it was just, it was, I think it was, it was either a phone number or a mailing address. And you just, yeah, so I wrote in, said, me, please. And there we were. <laughs> and uh, when did you find out that you had been selected? And I, I mean, we spoke to Dan Tootle about him doing the review zone. And like he said that the application that he got was like, you kind of sort of picked the areas that you were interested in doing. So was, were you particularly interested in being part of the consultation zone? Uh, no, it was, I got a letter back from, uh, International saying, um, yeah, we'd like you to come in for the consultation zone. I imagine that they were specifically recruiting for the consultation zone rather than the reviews because I didn't I didn't do the process that Dan went through. So we, we keep calling it the consultation zone, but do we know is it the consultation zone in series three or has it been renamed again? I actually think we go through a little bit of a rant or no, sorry, I say we. <laughs> I go through a little bit of a rant about this in episode one, where I'm like, you know what? <laughs> It may never have been called the consultation zone. I don't care. It's the review zone and the consultation zone. That's what my notes say, and that's what I'm saying. And I'm sticking with it until now. <laughs> so you got the letter from Hewland uh, that said that you had been onto the show. Uh, when was it sort of filmed, and where was it filmed? Where? Well, it was a soundstage in, I guess you kind of call it North Soho. Um, the It's like near Soho, but the part of the but north of like Oxford Street, um, mm-hmm. rather than being like, Soho proper. Um, it, it was just like this little soundstage thing downstairs, uh, convert, converted flat kind of thing. Um, nothing like the uh, review, the big studio that Dan was talking about. There wasn't enough, there was barely enough room to swing a cat, never mind, uh, have you know, <laughs> three people next to each other all playing video games. Yes, yeah, because unlike sort of, you know, the previous consultation zones where they have been sort of like, you know, full body things, this is literally just you on a screen. So like I would imagine like it was just a, a camera that was quite tight on you. Yeah, it was just, you know, black screen and me. Yeah, I remember feeling very upset that I didn't get to wear the virtuality gear. <laughs> yeah, clearly that sponsorship deal had run its course by the time we hit series three, because it's like, no more virtuality. You are now doing the Games Master equivalent of video dating. I guess they perfected the talking head thing uh, for the review zone. So they just yeah. decided, why not? And with the, the game itself, did you get a choice uh, in the game that you got to ask a question for? Because this is something that Ash and I have kind of been talking about since we started doing the podcast, is trying to work out, you know, is it the kids get to pick the games and then, you know, they just sort of say, here's some hints you can do. Or is it a case of, Sit down, kid. Now ask us about this game. Definitely the latter. I remember discussing with my friend Andrew, who came along to the filming with me, you know, what am I going to ask? You know, what should we talk about? Um, nearly went in asking for a tip for Quackshot, which was the game. He, he, had, he had the Mega Drive, I had the SNES, so between us we... Mm-hmm. Had our bases covered, but when we were playing a lot of Quackshot and Castle of Illusion at the time, I feel I feel like you're playing favourites here, Misha. I just like I'm a I'm a staunch Nintendo guy. Oh no, I just been but... playing favourites to Luke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's my bag, baby. Quackshot in particular. No, it, it genuinely that was those two were the, the, the games we were big on at the time. So we were discussing, you know, what should we ask about? Um, maybe Legend of Zelda, and then. So I got there, and they had a they had a list of about um, seven or eight tips, and they were like, "Can you do this one?" They basically they gave me the tip, but they gave me said, "You know, word it how you like." Yeah, 
So, uh, I mean, were you actually playing Kirby at the time? Uh, no, I didn't even own a NES. I never had. <laughs> I went straight from Game Boy to SNES. Had friends with NESs, never had one myself. Um, but I did, you know, some 10, 15 years later, actually dig out an emulated copy to play the game. Mm. Just to see how it did. Did the hint work in the game? Did you did you try the hint you were given <laughs> when you went back and played the game? I did actually. It occurred to me as I was playing that it was a really really stupid hint because if you've played all the way to you know World Seven Level Five, you've already figured out how Kirby's powers work. So yeah, you know that you can set things on fire if you eat the right enemy. So. If you see a cannon and a fuse and there's a fire enemy um, nearby, you know, it doesn't doesn't take a genius to figure out what you're supposed to be doing. You know, we're not we're not talking about, you know, point and click adventure levels of contrivance here. <laughs> yeah, consultation zone. It does veer between the very complicated and wow, I need a hint for that, like some of the point and clicks that we've had recently, or even some of the Zelda tips, to things which you'd have thought, as you said, they'd have learnt by that point in the game, or in the case of Robocop, don't shoot the mayor. Yeah. Still one of my all time favourites. That and jumping over the forklift. Those those are the two which <laughs> Those are the two hints that actually made, I think, kind of raise, started to raise the question between me and Luke as to whether they were all predetermined or some of them actually came from the kids because the forklift and the shooting the mayor feel incredibly well-crafted and the sort of thing a kid would ask. Absolutely. Those felt too real. I mean, the one that always springs to mind for me, though, uh, and only because I was just re-looking at the, uh, the Games Master annual, uh, the Games Master official book, and yeah. in the consultation zone review, well, the consultation zone area of that, they do the bloody castable illusion on the master system cheat or hint that he says, which is absolute balderdash. It's just how you do the level. Like it's, it really annoyed me that it was on the show, and it's annoyed me even more that they printed it in a book, wasting that valuable, valuable page real estate. Exactly. Could have put a goblin's cheat in there. It'd be much better. To be honest, the entire book could have been goblins cheats <laughs> so you went down you were there with a the mate you thought you might need to choose a hint uh but you were given the list while you were there were you the only consultation zone person there or was there like a like a kind of a, a doctor's waiting room or a line of people or a number of seats or were they just i guess timing it and getting one in and one out no it was just me andrew and my dad who'd uh given us a given us a lift I can't remember whether we had a particular slot to to be in, but you probably, from memory, you couldn't have fitted that many people into a doctor's waiting room without risking, you know, noise, noise pollution from people sitting sitting across the way. It was that small. From a crew perspective, was it like what, a researcher and a camera operator or, or kind of more of a one-man gang situation? I remember two people, um, camera operator and, uh, you know, the producer slash organiser slash researcher, whatever. I imagine there may have been a some, somebody actually doing the mixing. This does start to actually kind of paint a bit of a picture because obviously when we spoke to Dan and he was at a legendary recording studio down in Soho, mm -hmm. and so there was a chance that while that was going on there, they were actually using other smaller buildings within walking distance to kind yeah. of bring together these consultation bits and pieces or maybe some of the other interviews or talking heads. So realistically, you were actually having this kind of little production village in Soho using all these little rentable rooms. I can completely believe that. It would be fascinating to see a time frame for everything and just go, oh, OK, so they were filming this at the same time. They were doing this in one location and this in the other. I mean, if you think about when season two ends and season three begins airing, 
there's not much gap. Uh, I kind of feel like they probably tried to record as much as they could during the school holidays in order to get better availability. Yeah. But that only gives you an eight-week window for doing anything that requires lots of moving parts. So, yeah, having lots of recording operations going on at the same time does sound like a very sensible way to do things. And also the compressed timeline makes sense because, as we talked about earlier in the episode in the magazine section, when you look at the magazine that covers when Games Master Series 3 started broadcasting, in the dates to remember part of the magazine, there is no mention of Season 3 of Games Master. There is no mention of Dexter Fletcher and Dominic is still writing his big purple column. Mm -hmm. So they clearly went into kind of, I guess, to use a modern term, crunch mode. Mm. To, to get season three out of the door. And I suppose like the first episode you'd want it to get out before Mortal Monday. Like the whole like design of that first episode is to promote the fact that Mortal Monday is around the corner. And as we posited in episode one, they made some bank off the back of Mortal Monday. Some of that half a million yeah. pound advertising budget went towards Hewland and Games Master. Which is fair enough. I mean it was a you know it was it was a fantastic spectacle to see. So you went in, you did your take, but you didn't just have a query. You also had a bitch. You had a line. <laughs> yeah. So I remember that there was, you know, they did get a little bit that you could say at the end of your tip that was usually a variation on thanks a lot. I just decided that I would shamelessly uh, lift something from a here's Toby carton. Right. You, you, you guys, the Tottenham Court Road Computer Exchange mascot, Toby. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You guys might have seen in the magazines, but back then... They had the little comic strips for the, the computer exchange. Yeah. yeah. Toby's wacky adventures as a, well, I guess what we'd now call an edgelord. The ones for Games Master magazine actually featured Jamie himself, described at various times as a 97-year-old floating head. It's just one of those things that stuck with me, the ran random appearances of Games Master in this uh, sort of anarchic little comic strip. So in one of those strips, Toby made an expense at uh, Games Master's squint, and yeah. that, that lodged in your head, and it gave you your hook, I guess, you, your, yeah. your way to cement yourself as the final entrant in the consultation zone. Yeah, as I said in the comments for Season 2 wrap-up, and I've said that it's got massive, massive magazine mark, and, and I thought, is a bit of a show to put on. Not that I'm a show off or anything. Yeah, but the, so I just threw it in there on a whim, and the producer, the producer chap, thought it was brilliant. So it stayed in. And they even got a bit of a reaction from Patrick Moore, who makes us sound like an upset cat. Yeah, sort of <laughs> rumble. Yeah. So you delivered the query, you delivered the line. And I'm going to take a wild shot in the dark that you didn't have any idea what the reply was to your query until season three went out. Absolutely not. I, mean, I didn't even know what episode I was going to be on. I mean, I was going to be watching Games Master anyway. So for the, you know, so first episode, sit down. Is it me? Is it me? It's not. Second episode. Yay, it's me. And uh, just to, I guess, draw a couple of parallels to Dan, was it a case of when you got back to school? Because obviously this started airing just after term started again. Yeah. Were yeah. you saying to classmates, I was on Games Master, or I'm going to be on Games Master? Did, did you have that moment of excitement? I wasn't banding it about because uh, that year I just started at secondary school. I didn't want to make a big deal of it. I think a couple of people did ask me about it um, when the episode aired. They were like, 
Was that you on TV? I didn't didn't toot my horn about it because I didn't, quite frankly, because I didn't know how it would be received. Right. That that's true because kids can be cruel, and as I said before, that's a statement, not permission. Misha, thank you so much for taking the time out to speak with us today. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, I was I was saying to Ash like before we started recording this, and before you know we uh, we, we spoke to you about you being on the show. We haven't actually interviewed anyone who's been a part of the consultation zone. So we've now actually completed the set. We've had someone who did a challenge. We've had someone in the review zone. We've had someone in uh, the celebrity challenge. And now we've had someone in the consultation. The only thing we haven't done is someone. I know we have had someone who was on a feature. We had Mark Stoneham. So we really have now completed the full set of Games Master segments. So you weren't able to uh, track down whoever did that uh cd feature in season two and uh... Uh, yeah well don't that i want to comment on it but a restraining order has been placed and uh <laughs> i'm not legally allowed to talk to them. uh misha <laughs> thank you so so much for, for taking the time out to speak today we really appreciate it no worries pleasure to be here thanks It's time to bring back Team Scotland and find out what we're playing from the Games Master for our final challenge of the episode. Well, eight contestants began the show, and now we are down to four. In order to find our champion, it's every man himself on tonight's final game. Super Bomberman for the Smith. The only way to win is to lay just enough bombs to blow out your opponents while avoiding a similar fate yourself. Various power-ups appear from time to time, which can help or hinder your progress. Right, let's get on with it. I want a champion. Oh, mate, what a game we're playing here. Super Bomberman, four-player Super Bomberman. Yes, please, mate. I'm glad you added a mate there to differentiate it from your Vessel Talk catchphrase. <laughs> very smooth but also playing this we don't just have team scotland they've got names now luke they do indeed yeah so we've got jimbo chris jamie and ross who were once team scotland but now it's every man for himself it absolutely is and chris says he's played it before and his friend snares he was quite good but he's not sure how he'll do tonight and dex says not to put himself down don't underrate himself which i liked i thought that was nice Mm. big the kid up but he does go out first though yeah he does (laughs) <laughs> Jim says he used to do a bit of blasting on the Amiga version, Dyna Blaster, which we saw take that play in our previous record holder for most people playing a game simultaneously on Games Master. Mm-hmm. But he's not sure about the SNES version. Eh, mostly the same game. You'll probably be fine. Jamie says, obviously he's going to come first, without a doubt. And Ross fancies himself as a Master Blaster, but I don't know if that's got anything to do with the game or not. We've been to Commissary Boxes New West. Hello, Dexter. Hello, Neil. So, Super Bomberman sounds like a nice friendly game. Oh, it is. You've got to blow up all your friends. Hmm, sounds very nice. It's wonderful And stuff. is that the long and the short of it? No, you can also blow yourself up, which is a bit of a difficult twist of things. But I think these boys are pretty much on the ball. I don't think we'll see any of that. At least I hope not for my champions. Well, I hope so. I'd like to see someone blow themselves up. Well, Neil West is back in the booth. Dex wants to see some people blow themselves up. It's Bomberman, man. What a fun, fun game. I played it recently at uh, Four Quarters in Hackney, and it is just, it's a timeless game. You can't go wrong with it. It's a simple concept, and the worst thing they ever do with Bomberman is over-egg the pudding. There's a recent version for the Switch, which was on sale a while ago, and I played it, and still Bomberman, but it's too much indeed as we alluded to earlier chris is out first getting himself trapped between a series of bombs very very unlucky in all of that one there 
and he is devastated by this. You just see him slump into his chair where he's like, ah, oh, I came so far and I'm out first in the final. But once Chris is eliminated, the other three go into cat and mouse territory. These guys know how to play Bomberman because they are playing that game well. They're running bombs, they're kicking bombs, they're using corners to their advantage. And even when the next one is eliminated, which is Ross, it's the most common of mistakes in Bomberman, which is where you walk back across the tail of your bomb just a bit yeah. too soon, just literally five frames. If he'd waited less than half a second, he'd have been clear. Absolutely, yeah. The bomb explodes, it spreads out its fire, and then that fire dissipates. The bomb exploded, the fire went, he started walking. He did not give it enough time to dissipate. It was really, really unfortunate. And at this point, we've got Jim and Jamie as the last two standing. Jamie finds himself in the corner of the screen between two bombs as Jim runs away. And while he does manage to avoid the explosions, unfortunately, that waiting means he gets caught in the shrinking play area that starts to happen because they're down to the final two. So he doesn't even die via bomb. He dies via removal of play area. It's like a ring out in Soul Calibur yeah. or similar. It's, it's not a dignified way to go. No, it's, it's disappointing that that was the, the final. Like, that's the final death, right? Like, it's, it's disappointing because, like, it, the episode doesn't have that big climactic finish of someone getting caught in the fire. But do you know what it means, Ash? What's that? Do you know what this means? We started with eight. We went to four. We ended with one. And it's my boy. It's my boy Jimbo and his Rage Against the Machine top standing tall. And he is thrilled. Absolutely thrilled. He pumps the air with his fist. He gives a big old way because he won my boy Jimbo. He's my new favorite. If he doesn't win my favorite moments of series three, I'll be very surprised. Congratulations, Shaq's Chris. You met the big bomber man in the sky first. What happened? Well, I went to kick the bomb. I didn't kick it bad enough. I went back up there and the bomb exploded before I could run away. So, yeah, bad luck. Oh, well, you was out first. Then, uh, then came you, Ross. Oh, what was wrong? Just killed me. I'm going to cry. He boxed you into a corner. Okay. He boxed the man into a corner, but you only came uh -huh. second. Dirty tactics didn't do uh, any favours. Not like it's not blaster. Well, hard luck anyway. So, you walked away with it. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Team captain winner. Yeah, it's clearly confident. I'm sure you had told them all the news in the dressing room. That's what it was. <laughs> My favourite bit about this entire thing is because they go to the post-match. Chris says he didn't kick the bomb hard enough, didn't run away fast enough. Ross got boxed into a corner by Jamie. Jamie's dirty tactics didn't do him any favour. Jim, who walked away with it, despite all his fist pumping and bellowing earlier, he's just like, ah, no problem. I was quietly confident. Quietly confident. Dex does make the observation of, are you sure you didn't tell them all to lose in the dressing room? <laughs> Which had never occurred to me. And now I can't help but think he was the one with the driving license and was like, so you guys walking back home? No, man. My boy Jimbo. My boy Jimbo was smart here. Because all the other ones were bigging themselves up. Chris has said that he's played it on a mate, Snares. You've got Jamie saying that he's going to come first. You've got Ross saying that he's a master blaster. Jimbo, humble Jimbo, is just going, oh, you know, I played Dino Blaster on the Amiga. Maybe, maybe I'll do okay on the Snares version. I'm not really that, I'm not really that au fait with it. Humble brag. He knew what he was doing. He knew all along that he was going to walk away with this. Didn't big himself up, didn't make a tit of himself. Jimbo for the win. Never play poker with this mofo. Absolutely not. Well, after that explosive finish, I'll leave you the words of Stormy Norman Schwarzkopf. Blast them!
And our words of wisdom to leave us with come from Storm and Norman Schwarzkopf. Blast them. Dex runs for the exit. Another episode concludes. Look, we're two episodes into season three. And I've said it already at the top of this episode. I like the format, man. I'm really digging series three so far. I like the way that it's laid out. I love the opening challenge that leads into the final. The celebrity challenge now feels weird. The the celebrity challenge feels like it's in the way of this sort of tournament thing. But I also like it being there. I really enjoyed this episode. I had a grand old time with it. Fun little football challenge to kick us off. King of the Monsters was broadly fine. But I loved that final challenge uh, between the four Scotland lads. I thought that was really, really cool. And what a review zone we had with rock and roll f***ing racing and haunting starring Poltergeist. I had a wicked time with this episode. I watched this episode immediately following episode one and it was just smooth sailing. It just rumbled on and it felt pretty damn good. First and last challenges were great. Celebrity challenge was okay. The gameplay wasn't great, but it looked good. Hell of a star to have on the show, even if they were just there doing the press junket. Really fun consultation zone. And it was also great to speak to Misha to find out a little bit about how that segment of the show is done and kind of help us build our collection of people involved in different bits of the show. And a really, really solid review section and a feature which, while being of the kind that often Games Master falls over on, was actually a really fascinating time capsule. And looking back, a hell of a lot of foreshadowing for what technology was going to be doing in about 10 years time yeah i mean i had a blast with this episode i don't think i'm going to go into the 90 percent brackets for this but i am thinking between 85 and 90 so i'm going to go with 86 percent for this episode i was going to go with 88 first and last challenges were brilliant dexter was yes. a host perfectly fine perfectly good doing his job well review section great stuff feature great consultation zone great the celebrity challenge was really what let it down but that's going to wrap it up for episode two of series three thank you so so much for listening please do consider giving us a rating and review on itunes or wherever you're getting this from really helps us get notes in the podcast feeds i should say apple podcasts uh, by now it's been apple podcasts for a few years at this point but i'm stuck in my ways if you want to get in touch with the show we are on twitter at under console pod we're on instagram at under dot console if you want to contact us directly with some feedback it's feedback at underconsultation.com or another way to directly interact with us if that's your jam you can contact us on our discord where we hang out with other listeners we're chatting about games we're chatting about games master we're chatting about films we're chatting about all sorts of stuff from all walks of life it's a really nice little community and if you're looking for somewhere to hang out at the moment when we can't go out so much please come on down and check out what's going on you'd be more than welcome and if you want to support this podcast monetarily you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash under console pod backing us at any pound amount but you back us at the five pound amount you get next week's episode one week early and ad free which is always a nice time and if you back to the 10 pound level you get an extra special bonus merch pack ash tell them about it it's got a mug it's got stickers it's got badges it's got retro sweeties it's got a five pound discount off of our first under consultation t-shirt and as of now we don't have pogs but we do have vintage 1994 mighty morphing power rangers trading cards so so tasty and if you want to get some extra packs of those and maybe you want one of those t-shirts or you want an extra mug or more stickers or more badges you can head over to our website underconsultation.com place a merch order there and every merch order will also get a pack of these thrown in 
And a shout out to those £10 backers, Robert, Jamie, Matt, Kyrick, Phil, Simon, Nick, Sean, Adam, Cliff, Adam, Rich, Gordon, William, and Misha. Thank you, Misha, again, for being on this episode of the show. But that is going to wrap it up. Those guys are excellent, just as each and every person listening to this show is awesome as well. We'll see you in seven days' time for episode three. Take care, everyone. Good night. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.